0: Folks, we're looking at lesson 6 today, the Northern Kingdom in Assyria, as we continue to do our study in the book of Isaiah. So we're going to be focusing on chapter 9, verse 8, through chapter 12, verse 6. Now, we're going to be focusing on the Northern Kingdom because last week we were looking at the passages from chapter 7 through chapter 9 concerning the coming Messiah. And of course, with the prophecy of the virgin who would conceive, as well as the, the people who are dwelling in the land of darkness who see a great light and a child that would be born. Now, if you look at the beginning of chapter 9 in those first 7, you're going, you're going to see that there are several areas that are mentioned. Galilee of the Gentiles, the land of Nephitali, and the land of Issachar. Those are all part of the northern kingdom. Now you're saying northern kingdom, George, I thought it was Israel. Well, if you remember, after the reign of Solomon, when Rehoboam his son took over, there was a split in the kingdom. Now the roots of that go all the way back to David. We talked about that when we went through 2 Samuel, and especially after David fled from Absalom, and as he was returning, Benjamin and Judah were bringing him back, but the other ten tribes felt slighted that they were not bringing back David as well. And so those roots go all the way back there, so then you come to the time of Rehoboam, and there was a guy by the name of Jeroboam who kind of led this confederation, the ten tribes into separating and starting their own nation. And so they've been kind of at war ever since. There was, of course, a period where there were some mutual peace between them when you think of Jehoshaphat and, of course, with the house of Ahab, but mostly they've been at war with each other. And when we looked at the whole issue of the Deliverer, remember the nation of Judah was fearful of the Syrians and Israel coming against them. And of course, that's when the prophecy was given about the virgin conceiving or the young woman conceiving and giving birth to Emmanuel. So that brings us now to chapter 9, verse 8, because he's going to talk about what's happening, becoming exile of the northern kingdom. So Isaiah records that God has sent judgment against prideful Israel. Now judgment is against them because they were a very prideful people. And so that is the reality that we're going to see here. So what kind of pride? Well, in spite of hardship, Israel boasted that it could rebuild itself. So God would send oppressors and God would send difficulty against the nation, trying to bring them back. But in their pride, they thought, oh, that's not a problem. We could take care of it ourselves. We will rebuild. They were very much a nation of pride. So the Lord declares that Israel will be given over to its enemies. So the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you over to your enemies. That whole phrase "give over" we see that being used many times in the Scripture, and we see Paul using it. And the whole reality is, is that it's a it's an issue of judgment. So Isaiah laments that the nation will not turn back to God, who is punishing them. So Isaiah is lamenting. He's he's as he's sharing this prophecy, he is crying out because. Here's a nation that is enduring the punishment of God, but rather than responding to the punishment of God and turning back to him, they are filled with pride that they can handle this, they will go on, but God's going to give them and bring them severe judgment. So severe judgment will fall on everyone in the nation, both the rich and the poor. Now, I think that's a pretty significant thing because sometimes... Proverbs mentions that those who are rich can handle difficulties and struggle more than those who are poor. However, this severe judgment, everyone is going to be affected, from the one who is at the top of the societal stratus all the way down to the most poor. So everyone is going to experience this severe judgment. And The nation, Isaiah is saying, the nation's wickedness is described as a fire that is consuming them. So what's consuming them is their wickedness, the evil that they're doing. It is what is destroying them. So Isaiah points out that they will not only be judged by God and their enemies, but from within. And the text makes it very clear when you look at it that their judgment will be brother against brother. There will be division from the inside, and it will be what consumes them. It will be what destroys them. In fact, uh, that's the point he wants us to see, is, is they will destroy themselves. Now, I think it's interesting, if we're wanting to look for an application here with this prophetic passage, it's it's made very clear, and I think it's brought out in the New Testament when we talk about the church in the epistles, and that is dissension. God hates dissension. He says that in the Old Testament, he very much says that in the New Testament, and he hates what brings disunity to a church, because anything can be destroyed from the inside. And that is the reality here. God's people will not stand. If they are against themselves and they will destroy themselves and they're destroying themselves because of their wickedness here. This is just indicative of the wickedness that is going on in the nation that they would be at each other's throats and so that's what we see here. Now when you continue on especially there in chapter 9 verse 8 through chapter 10 verse 4 You're going to see that Isaiah pronounces a woe on the nation's leaders for six sins. So he lists six specific sins that the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, also known as Samaria, was doing that were downright wrong and God is pronouncing woe, meaning judgment will come upon them. What are they? Well, number one, they will be judged for making unjust laws. So their leaders were making unjust laws that the people had to live under. They will be judged for issuing oppressive decrees. They would, again, institute these decrees that would put the people under a burden that were not right. Number three, they took away justice. Taking away justice, and so therefore they're they're judged for that. Number four, depriving the poor of their rights. Now, I think it's a good place to stop. We're talking about the northern kingdom here and how they're being judged. The reality is is that whenever you look at the scripture from both the Old Testament to the New Testament, the reality is, is God does not like the poor being mistreated or abused. It is very evident. How do we see that? Well, number five, they were hurting the widows. Now, if you looked at society, and the king at the top, you know, that priestly, the aristocracy, you got the middle class, you got the poor, the most destitute in a nation, of course, would be lepers and so forth, but at that bottom were widows. Why? Because it's a patriarchal society. Women couldn't own property, and they couldn't take care of themselves, and so if their husband died, they were left destitute begging hoping and wondering if someone would take care of them and here this nation is being rebuked because they were hurting the widows not just that the final thing is number six they were robbing the orphans again the fatherless and always you will see in the scripture the reality of what faith is what do you mean well if you go over to James In the book of James, the letter of James, James tells us what true religion is, what true spirituality is. It's not how much you are, quote, doing for the Lord. It's for to whom you're doing your spirituality. So chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So a measure of one's spirituality is, is how are you dealing with the poor? Are you caring for the poor? And and this is one of the things that they're being judged for in the Northern Kingdom is because they weren't doing that. They were abusing. So Isaiah points out that the nation, the Northern Kingdom, will be destroyed by a power that comes from afar by a power that comes from afar. And that, of course, would be the Assyrian Empire. So that brings us then to chapter 10, verse 5 through 34, and we're going to talk about the fall of the Assyrian Empire. Now, I need you to understand something here. I need you to recognize that God uses the wicked for his purpose. The wicked can be a tool in God's hand. And as a tool in God's hand, God uses the wicked to punish his people, to punish the ten tribes, punish the northern kingdom. So God used Assyria as a rod to punish Israel. That's the reality that you're going to see when we look at these verses. But even though God has used her as a tool, he's not pleased with Assyria. You're going to see that he's not happy with the Assyrian kingdom for how they are. Now, let me explain something to you. We know from history and from archaeological finds and so forth that the Assyrian Empire was a cruel empire. They were cruel people. When they went into an area and captured an area, when they brutalized that area, those that they left alive, they would carry them away to another place. And how would they carry them? One of the things that we know is that they would put a ring in the bottom lip of people and attach a rope and drag them away. They would take them away from their homeland, from the area in which they were raised, and settle them somewhere else. And it was kind of an assurance policy to make sure that nobody rose up against them later in that area to protect their homeland. Because they're not in their homeland now, they would be in another area. So the Northern Kingdom would be taken away into exile, and we know this from the scripture, 2 Kings, and that another kingdom or another defeated people would be brought in. And that's exactly what had happened. And that's where we would later see the rise of the Samaritans. Now, Assyria boasted that its idols were greater than the god of of Israel. Now that would irritate the Lord God because he does not share his glory with anyone, but this is what they did. And we're going to see that a little bit later when we see the interaction with the messenger from Zennacherib, the king of Assyria, who is bringing a message to Hezekiah. And he talks about what other gods could face the God of the Assyrians, and effaced the Assyrian army, and they're all defeated, and he says the God of Israel will be the same. Well, we're going to see what happens as a result of that, but God's not pleased with that. God is irritated with Assyria for making that kind of a boast. So God will punish Assyria for its arrogance and pride. Now, even though he's using them as a tool, he's also going to punish them because of their sin, of their arrogance, and their pride. So God promises that a remnant will remain and return to the land. Now let's stop for a moment. We've got to reflect on the issue of remnant. There's a lot of discussion about remnant today in our North American culture, especially in Christian culture, and, and usually it's reflected as a, a surviving spiritual group of people. That is not what is it is meaning here in the text. Because you're going to see that there is a remnant that is taken away. There's a remnant that's taken to Babylon. They'll later return. But when you read the text, when you read the various descriptions, whether it's from the prophets or even from the historical narratives, you're going to find that they were not necessarily spiritual. They were not necessarily right. They still sinned. They still chased after the idols. They still engaged in mixed marriages with the nations. The remnant means those who were left. God left something so that he could build on it later to fulfill his promises to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to fulfill his promises in the Mosaic covenant, in the Davidic covenant. So God promises that a remnant will remain and return to the land. God assures his readers that the burden of Assyria will be lifted from them. So in the midst of the passages of judgment, so in the midst of the reality of what's coming and their defeat and being carried away into exile, he's telling them, yeah, I'm also going to punish the Assyrians, but I'm telling you that the burden that the Assyrians place upon you will be lifted from them. So he's giving them some hope. He's giving them something to look forward to. And you find that throughout the scripture. And he's Isaiah proclaims that the Lord will defeat the Assyrians. And we see that later on. He'll use the nation of Babylon to destroy the Assyrian Empire. Well, then that brings us to chapter 11, verse 1 through chapter 12, verse 6. And he's going to focus on the coming kingdom. So with this hope of the Assyrians being destroyed, Isaiah's prophecy now turns to the reality of a coming king, a messiah, someone who is special that is coming, and the kingdom that he will establish. And that's what these chapters will focus on. So what we see is is that Isaiah mentions that a ruler will come forth from the line of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? Remember, we, we looked at that in 1 Samuel Jesse was the man from Bethlehem who had many sons, but his most famous son was David. So from the line of Jesse, and ultimately from the line of David, will come a ruler. We know who that ruler is. That ruler is Jesus, the Messiah. He will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, Isaiah says, and will be characterized by the fear of the Lord. That will be the nature of this Messiah who will rise up. He will judge the nations. Now we know that at this point, that aspect of Jesus' Messiahship, his leadership as the Christ, as the Son of God, has not taken place. It will take place in the future when he comes when he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. But he will judge the nations. Isaiah also points out that his kingdom will be marked by peace and harmony among all creation. And we know that from Revelation chapter 20. When he establishes his kingdom, it will be a period of peace. We're going to see a little bit more of that as we continue on in the prophecy concerning what it will be like in that thousand-year reign. So his kingdom will be marked by peace and harmony among all creation. Isaiah points out that the Messiah will serve as the rallying point for all peoples. So he will be the rallying point. He will be the focus of all people and their worship. And will also see that all the nations will come to Jerusalem to worship him. He will gather all of Israel and Judah from the farthest points of the world. And folks, they are there. They're everywhere. Everywhere. It is amazing where, where they have been spread out through the exile. But they will be brought back. God will be praised because his anger will be turned away from Israel. Right now his anger is directed to them because of their rejection of him, their historical rejection of him, and their rejection of the Messiah. But there will be a day when his anger will be turned away from them, and God will be praised because of that. And the remnant, those who were left, will remind themselves concerning the greatness of God. The greatness of God. Well, that brings us to the end of our lesson here concerning chapter 9, verse 8 through chapter 12, verse 6. Next week, when we get into lesson 7, we're going to see a prophecy that is given concerning the nations that are around Israel during this time and how they feel about the Assyrian oppression but also God's judgment upon them. So we're going to see several nations that are listed and God's plan for them, and we'll see that next week when we get back into our Sunday school time.